This is our second of a quick three-week series that we are doing called The Extras. Throughout Scripture, there are uh, stories of people we know well. Moses, Peter, Paul, David, Jesus. We know all their stories. We know them well. We study them. But there are uh, people in the Bible who they're barely mentioned. And so we take uh, a few minutes last week, this week, next week, to look at some of the stories of people that maybe we wouldn't look at. And I just, before I start this week uh, looking at the extras, I realized uh, as I was getting ready this week that I have extras in my life, people that, you know, uh, maybe I, I have more in common with than I realize, that I'm closer to and I realize. And in fact, I have a, um, a guy who's, I didn't realize, but he's actually a brother. And you'll see the resemblance. I'll, I'm going to bring him up in a second. Um, I didn't realize that we were, I guess, related in this way. You'll see the, anyway, um, I'm going to invite him up. He's a little shy, so please help me welcome my brother, Dan Whiting, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in person yet. It looks nice. Looks nice. Blade is good. Not as good. I need a better blade. You need a better blade. Here, grab a microphone. We're going to uh, talk to you for a minute. Uh, yeah, Dan and I were sharing um, razor knowledge this week, and I, uh, I said, you know, since we now share this in common, uh, we look the same from the eyebrows up, I thought I would bring him on uh, and talk a little bit about, um, you made, a, uh, this is obviously for not just beauty. I mean, it is for beauty. Let's, yeah, yeah, it's for beauty. But I know a lot of people have asked me and people have been asking about uh, what's been going on with you and how you're feeling and everything. So uh, we thought it was a good time to well, give. Yeah, uh, perhaps many of you know, uh, last month I had some surgery in my small intestine and they found uh, some non-Hodgkin's large, non large B-cell lymphoma. And uh, so the good news is they didn't find it anywhere else. Okay. And so uh, and so I started uh, chemo treatment on Thursday, and I'm going to do six sessions for three weeks apart, and the prognosis is excellent. They just say it should be curable, so um, you know, many of you have family members that have gone through chemo, and you know, you have the side effects, but this is a pretty good side effect. It's a not bad you know, side effect. I thought effect. about it when I, when I shaved it all off. I said, I'm going to be just like Tony, and I'm going to be like Greg. Yeah. Now I got to get Greg Henneman to do it. He's like, Nah, I'm not doing that. He said he's not doing that. We're gonna take an offering to get him to shave his head when he gets back from vacation. Uh, he said, Nah, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Be the biggest offering this church has ever taken, I think. But uh, you got to tell him. So I called you. I asked you how you're doing, and you had the treatment. Tell him what you did the day. Was it the day of or the day after? We did. We went bike riding at Independence Oaks. So I'm gonna. So yeah. Away at it. Well, maybe I should get some of that chemo. I feel up for that. I just appreciate the prayers. I mean, I've been texts and Facebook messages, and I've had uh, people giving me uh, scripture verses uh, on voicemail. It's, it's just wonderful. So this is a real blessed con uh, congregation, and I'm just so appreciative uh, of everybody. And we know all of you are going through something. You know, I heard Christine backstage say about you're going through hurts, hang-ups, and hang-ups, uh, and habits. Everybody's going through something. So we have trust in God that he's going to get us through this. So. Yeah, specifically, he's given us these bodies. And sometimes they don't do what they're supposed to. 
they don't and and uh, things go wrong, but our spirits are strong because he's in us, he's with us. I'm not and, quite doing as many sit-ups as if you did that one time when you told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- and I will never do that many again. So, um, but sometimes we are we have health issues that are bi- bodily, and, and and Dan's been going through that, and I know that he's conveyed to me many times how how um, how he's felt the prayers of the congregation and people covering him with this grace that they're lifting him up. And as Dan eloquently said, many of you came in and maybe you or someone you know is dealing with uh, some physical maladies. And so I want to take a minute and I want us to pray for you. Um, But also if you came today and you have someone else to lift up, let's have this be a time where we're praying for uh, health issues of the people that we know, people that we love, and ask God that he be present in our physical bodies um, as we as we go through with these things. Are you okay with that? All right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay my hand on you. Do I, probably not the head though, right? Just the shoulder. No, that I'm gonna be weird holding like this. All right, guys. Let's pray for Dan and for all the health issues out there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this witness that we are more than just this physical body. That you are stronger than the things that ail us. God, I lift up Dan and all the names that are being thought of in the congregation right now. And Lord, for these people, we say their names to you. And we ask that today they know that you're with them. They feel your presence, your peace, and your strength. And God, may they walk on, may we walk on knowing that we were built for so much more than this toil, that you have big plans for us, for your church, and that you will strengthen us throughout the whole process. We thank you that we have this opportunity to lift people to you and you hear us. You hear us. God, hear our prayers, be present, be with Dan and all the others as they continue on through these uh, struggles and recoveries, and may they be, be made whole because of you. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. All right, brother. Okay. And I got, I got a 10-pack of razors in the car. I'll give them to you. Yeah. Mach 5s. They work great. So today, the second extra that we are going to talk about is uh, a guy who doesn't even have a name. He's in the book of uh, John, chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your Bible apps, you can turn there, however you uh, want to do it. John, chapter 5, there's a guy who was sick. We just prayed for people who have been dealing with physical illnesses. And I had earmarked this passage for today. And I was like, I'll get to it on Monday and I'll go, you know, I'll really dig in. And I thought I was going to talk about a certain thing. And then on Monday I started going through it. I'm like, oh, that story's not what I thought at all. So first I want to give this guy a name because he doesn't have a name. No one, no one names him in scripture. Um, let's, let's call him Greg. Okay. There's no Gregs in scripture. I'm a little sore about that. So we're going to let this guy, this is not the greatest story. Um, for Greg to be in, but I just wanted to get my name in the Bible. So um, we're going to call our extra from today, Greg. And we're going to read chapter 5, 
John, and it's going to go the way well, 1 through 15, but I'm, if you've heard me before, you know I usually stop and go off on rabbit trails. So put your finger in it as we go through it. I'll start in verse 1, chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. All right, we'll pause right there. So I want to just give some context to this pool. Um, you, I, I assume you're familiar with what a colonnade is. It's an outdoor structure with pillars and uh, some covering. And there's five of them at this pool called Bethesda. And uh, historically, uh, at Bethesda, uh, occasionally throughout the Old Testament, and even into the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, an angel would come down, and it was told that the angel would stir the pool. And then after the angel stirred, stirred the pool, the tradition was that uh, the first person who had an illness that went into the pool after the angel stirred it would be healed. This pool was known for this over and over and over again. For a while, this is how God worked in healing some of the sick throughout Israel. And so they knew about this. And because people knew about this, then that pool was congregated. If you knew that there was a place where people could get uh, healthy regularly, you would hang out there in the off chance that maybe you could get healed. And it doesn't matter how long you stay, you always hope for that chance. If you play the lotto, you know your chances are good, but if you hang out with a lotto ticket long enough, who knows? Your number may come up. And so at Bethesda, there were hundreds of sick that would gather and stay there on the off chance that their number might come up. They were living with the hope that something better might happen. Now, Greg, in this uh, passage, is there amongst the sick. And when we see Greg, um, it says that he had been invalid for 38 years. That was not um, specific. It's not specific to a specific illness. That's just how they would, uh, one word they would use to refer to someone who was sick. So Greg is at the pool of Bethesda with all of the other sick at this pool where occasionally somebody might be able to get in and get healthy. That's the context of where we are in Bethesda. Let me give you some other context. Right before this, in John chapter 4, John tells the story of how Jesus uh, hired the daughter, or hired, healed the daughter of a local official. He came to Jesus and he said, can you heal my child? And he said, uh, well, it is done. And by the time the guy got home, he found out that his child had been healed already. And it happened right when Jesus said it was done. It was known across the parts that Jesus had healing power. And so you have a bunch of people gathered at this pool hoping for healing. But also Jesus shows up and they're like, oh, but this guy also heals. And that's who this, that's who Greg runs into in verse 5. Now, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? It's an interesting question. 
Do you want to get well? Jesus didn't just show up and heal him. He asked him, is this what you want? Do you want to be healed? Is that what you actually want? And so the man's response, Greg's response is interesting. Sir, Greg replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He didn't answer the question. Let me go to the question and answer. Well, again, do you want to get well? Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. We're back into the silly political season, which means it's time for debates and uh, the candidates come together. And every two to four years, I try to watch the debates on both sides, local and national, and I can watch for five minutes. And after two or three questions, the moderator will ask a question, and the person doesn't answer the question. And the moderator goes, uh, that actually isn't an answer to the question I just asked. And then the person says some more words that can form a sentence and a thought, but also don't answer the question. And so after about five or six minutes, I'm like, I'll read the transcripts later. I cannot continue to watch someone ask a question and someone else not answer the question that they are asked. It's, it's maddening. And I'm reading through this and I'm like, Greg did that. Jesus says, do you want to be, or do you want to get well? And he says, well, I haven't gotten into the pool because other people get in before me. And so like, he's explaining why he's not getting into the pool. You would think from the outside, being healed is a pretty good thing. You would think that Greg would want to be healed. But rather than answer the question and say, yeah, that'd be great. If you could heal me, we could all move on from here. That'd be awesome. Instead, he's holding on to the fact that he's been trumped, that someone cuts in front of him, that he's been there 38 years. And there are other people that have only been there two months, and they got in ahead of him. He's airing his grievances. When Jesus asks him if he wants to be healed, rather than say he wants to be healed, instead, he points out that he's been wronged. I, I've been here the longest. I, I should get to go first. Next time the angel comes down, I'd someone, I, all these people cut in front of me. Can you believe that? And he's indignant. And the thing he needs is being offered to him. Do you want to be healed? And instead, he would rather hold on to his grudges. Some of us today walked in with some grudges. We've been wronged. People have done wrong by us and we've suffered because of it. We've had a negative impact on our lives because of what other people have done to us. What the, the, the hand that life has dealt us has put us in a situation where it just doesn't seem fair, especially knowing that the person that you know really well is doing way better than you and you're still stuck in this thing. And if it hadn't been for this one grievance, this one time I was wrong, then I would get what they have. And you, and you like, you like having that. You would never admit that. 
You would never admit that it's fun to have a grudge, but like you start to like being bitter. How many people on social media in the house? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we got, we got some accounts out there, okay. Maybe you're like this because this is probably too much, yeah, this is confession. There are people who I am friends with or follow on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And they're people that I don't really know. I met them one time and maybe it's a professional uh, connection. And so I uh, friend them or they friend me. And so we follow them and they post things that really get under my skin. Does anybody else have like that? Anybody like that on your accounts? Okay. And you see it once and you get annoyed and angry. And, oh, how could they say, how do they? Oh, and, and, and then I tell my wife, Michelle, can you believe that so-and-so put this? And she's, she goes, yeah. And then she keeps going on. And then they post again. And it's like narcissistic and it's, it's, it's egotistical and it's putting other people down. And they didn't even, they, they, they're so into them. Can you believe how into themselves they are? And they end this and that. And, then, and pretty soon they're a regular part of my diet. I see them regularly and like they, if they say something, it annoys me. But like the truth of it is I could just stop reading their stuff, but I like it. <laughs> I, I like being angry. I like, I like hating them. Oh, there's nothing more great. Like to two things that are most immediately gratifying are chocolate and hate, right? I mean, like, oh, can you believe it? Because it's self-righteous and I can't believe that they would say or do the things that they're saying or doing. And we know that the way that God has created us, that hate is poison. It's poison. It destroys our spirit when we live with a constant hate for someone with a constant grudge that we have. We know that when we've wronged someone else and we haven't asked for forgiveness and we're fine wronging them because you know what? The ends justifies the means. So whatever it took, I'm fine with it. And that eats away. It rots. It's a cancer. And we know it. We know cognitively. That if we would rid that from our lives, we would be living with more peace and in the way that God created us to live. But instead, we like it. We hang on to it. And God approaches us and says, you have this hate. You have this lack of confession, this need for forgiveness. You have this relationship gone wrong that you are contributing to. Do you want to get well? And sometimes, like Greg, your response is, well, they, I mean, they messed with me. They wronged me. I'm entitled to a certain thing, and they took it. And rather than answer the question that God asks, do you want to be made well, we hold on to the hate, to the grudge, to the lack of forgiveness, because we like it. Because in some weird, 
twisted way, it is satisfying. But we know that we were made for more than the immediate grudge. We were made for more than the hate that destroys our bones and soul. We know that if we are going to live the way that we are called to, that if the kingdom is going to be what it's meant to be because we're a part of it, then we need to live the way we're called to be. And so we can change it anytime we want. We just have to answer the question, do you want to get well? Do you want to? Answer the question. Is there something you hold on to that you're willing to stop doing? Do you want to be made well? Because we know who has the power to help make us well. It's just a matter of do we want to get well? Greg deflects. He doesn't answer the question. He gives the grudge. He holds on to the thing. He likes being the martyr. You know, I should be next, but everybody keeps cutting in front of me. And so here I am, invalid, sick. It's not what he asked. In spite of Greg's answer, verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. In spite of the man, in spite of Greg's response, Jesus says, get up. And you'll see why in a minute. This is interesting. All right, so we're going to keep going on. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat. I was told to do this. It's not, I, I'm, it's not me. I was told to do this. I'm just doing what I'm told. Pick up your mat and walk. Verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. You didn't think we were going to talk about this today, but today we're going to talk about Sabbath. A few weeks ago, I talked about the creation story. How many people were here on Memorial Day weekend? Memorial Day weekend, I don't know if you remember that. We had a, we had a, ba- a bigger band from outside, and there was dancing in here. It was like, it was, you know, it was crazy. Uh, and so on that day, we talked about the creation story and the rhythm of the creation story. What happened in it is, On day one, there's this beautiful creation story in Genesis chapter one. On day one of that story, God separated the light and the darkness. And then on day four, he filled it. On day two, he separated the water on the ground from the water from the air. So basically bodies of water on the ground, clouds in the sky. And on day five, he filled it. Birds, fish, etc., On day three, he separated the water on the ground from the land, from the dry land. And on day six, he filled it with the vegetations and the creatures that would be there. He had this rhythm where he would create space so that amazing things could happen in that space. Day one, day four, day two to day five, day three to day six. And I ended the sermon there. We ran out of time. I do that a lot. Sorry, guys. So... I ended the sermon there. But if you read to the very end of Genesis 1, it says on on day 7, he rested. Day 1, he separates. Day 4, he fills. Day 2, he separates. Day 5, he fills. Day day 3, he separates. Day 6, he fills. Day 7, he rests. 
And I had someone pose this question to me that made me laugh. Do you think he rested on the seventh day because he was tired? Do you think God was like, that has been a week? Holy smokes. I, uh, holy everything. Holy mo- Yeah, right. So I need, I need, a, I need a nap. I need a, I need a golf tournament on in the background. I need, yeah, I, I just need to rest. <laughs> Do we think God took the seventh day because he was tired? That's ridiculous, isn't it? Instead, maybe he took the seventh day because he was weaving a rhythm. He was weaving a rhythm so that we could copy that rhythm. At the beginning of this passage, verse 5, or verse 1, sorry, of chapter 5, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So all of this happens during one of the Jewish festivals. Uh, And so that made me go, well, what are the festivals? What are we talking about here? And in, uh, in Jewish teaching, specifically in Leviticus, I know, Leviticus, you've had enough of it. You've read it so much. You know it backwards and forwards. You might as well quote this to me. I know. Leviticus chapter 23, in laying the law out, God gives the Jewish people, once they've got their own land and their own people, he gives them festivals that he wants them to observe. And these festivals, seven of them, are all laid out in chapter 23 of Leviticus. Let me just point out a couple of these. Uh, I'll read quickly through them. 23, verse 4. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at the appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 14th day of the first month. So seven, two times seven days, right? On the 14th day, there's a seven there. And then he goes on, I'm going to scoot ahead. Verse 15, he talks about the festival of weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you uh, brought the sheep of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. There's, There's a number thing that's happening here. Verse 23, the festival of trumpets. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest. Verse 26, the day of atonement. The Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly. Deny yourselves. Present a food offering. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. Verse 33 is the festival of tabernacles. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacle begins. And it lasts for seven days. There is a rhythm that's happening here over and over and over again. God is instilling in the Jewish people that I have a rhythm for your life. Sabbath isn't necessarily just the day that Chick-fil-A closes and we all go to church. That's not specifically what the Sabbath was for. Instead, Sabbath was a model for us to understand that there is a 6-1 ratio of go and rest. Go and rest. Live, work, do, rest. 6-1, 6-1. And maybe for you, you're like, how am I taking a full day? That seems crazy. But I think there is a rhythm 
uh, idea in here rather than a day's idea in here. I, I get that people will take a full day Sabbath, and I think that's great. But I don't think Sabbath needs to be confined to just 24-hour periods. Sabbath should be found in every day. We should find rest every day. Not because we need a nap, but because this is the way we are created to live. Because if we take time to pause, six, one, six, one, six, one, on the seventh month, for seven days, on the seventh day he rested. There's the six, one thing happened. If we find a rhythm, we will find that it's easier to find peace, to hear from God, to tend to relationships. That seventh day is integral to our lives because it helps us connect. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a day. That Sabbath can happen all the time as long as we find our rhythms. And that is easier said than done. Some of you have to leave after this for a child's game. That you have to go and you have to take them to a thing afterward and then they're off to camp and then you have to work. And, and it's hard to find those breaks. It's hard to find rhythms in some place. But I will tell you that if you can find things, set aside times that are your rest times. If it's in the morning and you're, you're six hours and one hour, or you're, yeah, whatever, there is a rhythm that God has baked into the goods we were built in his image and he mouths for us that if we can find the right rhythm, then we are living at a peace in accordance to how he's created us to live. And that's not easy. But I can tell you, if you find it, it's more in line with how he created us. I don't think that this man necessarily did anything wrong. You see, the Jewish leaders of the day in the New Testament had set up rules and everybody was to observe the Sabbath at the same time. Everybody takes this day as your Sabbath. And no kidding, the Jewish leaders of the day had 39 things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. That was a long list of like, it's the day of rest, so nobody can do any of these things. And one of those things was to take property from one domain to another, or in layman's terms, to carry a mat. You weren't allowed to do that because today's the day that we designate is your time to rest. And I don't think that God intended for us to have to go by someone else's rules. I think we can be built and learn our own rhythm. I always wondered, what do pastors do on the Sabbath? I've preached two, days, uh, two Sundays in a row. It's, it's exhausting. I mean, you people are exhausting. I'm Really, like if you, if you don't, if, you, if you're working on what everybody else is, says is a Sabbath, then what's your Sabbath? All of us have different rhythms. All of us have different schedules. This isn't necessarily about calendar. It's about finding the ways that you find shalom, that you find peace with God, wherever that is, and make that a regular thing. And guard it and make it your holy place. Look, Thursday nights at 7, I'm going to... The coffee bucket. I'm just, for example, right? I'm good. This day at this time, I'm going to go. I'm going to take a moment to step away from the madness. Because if you look at the calendar on my, on my phone, it's madness. I need to have those regular times and I guard them fervently because I care 
that God's created me for a rhythm. So this man, so Greg is carrying a mat. The religious leaders of the day say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You're not, not allowed to do that because we work for six and then we take this one day off. And Greg's like, I haven't worked in 38 years. I don't know what you're talking about. There was no six days before this day. My point being that like Greg's rhythm was different than the Jewish leader's rhythm. Your rhythm is different from the rhythm of the person in the pew behind you and before you. There is no legalism to when you should Sabbath, but please, because it's important to your relationship with God, Sabbath, find your rhythms. Because in those rhythms, in those spaces that are created, God does stuff. And we hear and we listen and we grow and we move how he's created us to move. So finally, I'll go back to John chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up at verse 11. But, he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. Jesus had slipped into the crowd that was there. This man had had his life turned upside down, and he didn't even know who did it. He was so focused on, this person got in front of me in line. I deserve better than this because I was there longer than them, and I've been dealt this terrible hand, and woe is me, and you should feel bad for me. You should really feel bad for me. He's so into himself that Jesus, the one that everyone is proclaiming as the healer of the day, he, last chapter, he just healed someone else. He's doing signs and miracles, and people know about this guy. And he's so into himself that he doesn't see that he's in the presence of God. Greg is so into himself that he doesn't realize that he's in the presence of God. i got to say it one more time. Greg is so into himself that he doesn't realize that he's in the presence of God. Does your name fit in there? Have you put your head down and bowled ahead and tried to get through something and something amazing happens and you didn't see God the entire time because your head, you were so focused inward that you didn't see the God that was making it all happen at the time? That this man who sat for 38 years could not see the healers standing right in front of him. Do you want to get well? Your wellness is not dependent on your looking back. Your wellness is dependent on your looking up. That when you see God working in your world and you're not so focused on your problems, on your obstacles, on your grudges, on your hate, on that person, that relationship that has a hold on you, it doesn't have to hold on, have a hold on you one more day. Do you want to get well? In a minute, I'm going to pray, and we're all going to leave. And you have a choice when you leave the doors. That grudge you walked in with, that hate that you walked in with, that thing that has a hold of your life, that person for when the first time they say something, your blood boils. That thing, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker. They have hold over your life. And because you've got your head down and you're upset about what they did or said or wronged you in some way, 
you aren't looking up and listening to the fact that God is wanting to make you well, to release you from the hate that is wrapped around you. And you could walk forward in love. You could get well. Do you want to get well? Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who'd made him well. Jesus gave him an ultimatum. You were physically sick for 38 years, but there's something that's a lot worse than that. And that's when your soul is sick. You have physical maladies. Lots of people have them. And they are difficult and they are trying. And it is hard to keep your confidence up. And it takes the prayers of hundreds to lift your spirits. But there's something a lot worse. Hate is a stronger cancer than any type of lymphoma. Because it could destroy your soul. What are you carrying today? This man, Greg, I'm sorry, Greg, he went away and told the Jewish leaders. At the very end of the story, he finally sees. He goes back to the Jewish leaders. He's like, actually, you know who made me well? I said I didn't remember before. I, now I know. I saw it was Jesus. You see a change happening, Greg, because he was able to see who was guiding him the whole time. That's the story of Greg. Do you want to get well? When we leave today, let go of the hate. Unfollow that person. Make amends with that grudge that's been sitting there for years. Let go of the things that you feel like you're entitled to because God has something better. When he asks you if you want to get well, don't say why you've been wronged. Say yes. Because when we find the rhythm to be able to hear the God that's calling us, in that rhythm, we are made to live a life that we could not imagine.